So last week we talked about application and we talked about how um, ultimately God is more interested in developing messengers than messages uh, and the importance of thinking through application um, in, in helping people connect the dots and not just assuming that they'll know how to take all of the, all the cool things you showed them in the text and, and just assuming that, well, we'll, like they'll know how to apply it. Um, uh, we need to connect those dots uh, for people. And so we, we spent the first week talking about observation, second week talking, talking about interpretation, and then the third week talking about application. Um, I love this Keller quote uh, as we get, like I said, more into the homiletics portion of this class. Um, what we're talking about here uh, isn't, isn't uh, this is how to deliver, not just an informative lecture, but a life-changing sermon. It is not merely to talk about Christ, but to show him, to demonstrate his greatness, and to reveal him as worthy of praise and adoration. If we do that, the Spirit will help us, because that is his great mission in the world. What, what Tim Keller is talking about is that the Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit's job is to attest to the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so the Holy Spirit's job is to always point us back uh, to glorifying Christ. And and for what we're doing in communicating biblical truth, whether that's through a message or through a Bible study or whatever, whatever it looks like for you, our, our purpose isn't to just give a lecture. Um, it's to show people the greatness of Christ. And, and one of the, one of the ways that we do that um, is, uh, is by matching the, um, the content with the vehicle. And here's what I mean. Uh, there's there's an artist out there called, and I don't know Roman numerals, so forgive me for not having any idea what this actual number is, but it's page CVXI, so whatever that Roman numeral is. Um, she's got a song, it, it's the I've, I've Got the Joy, so if you grew up in church, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, where, and you go forever, you just keep looping that around. Um, if you go and listen to her rendition of I've Got the Joy, it's <laughs> it's in a minor key and it sounds incredibly depressing. Like it's the opposite of what you would want joy to sound like. I think I understand what she's doing. Um, but unfortunately it's, it's a, it's a perfect example of, of the content of a song, not matching the vehicle of a song. Like the content is, I've got the joy down in my heart and I'm so happy. That's the lyric, but it's sung as though it's incredibly depressing. And it's, it's hard to listen to because the contrast between these two things is so dramatic that it, it's, it's, nearly, it's, it's nearly impossible to listen to. Go listen to it on Spotify. Maybe you'll love it. I use it as an example for this, obviously, for my own reasons of the, the vehicle and the message don't match. And so what we want to do as we're thinking about communicating biblical truth is that is that as we've searched the scriptures, as we've done our study, as we've made our observations, as we've done interpretation, as we've struggled over how to help people specifically apply this to their lives, um, we need to look at like what kind of text is this and what's the message that we're that we're seeking to get across and we need to show um almost the tone of the passage show the tone of the message show the show the the personality of the main point of the text now this this doesn't mean that if you're uh if you're a relatively shy person that you've got to somehow morph into this like gregarious 
I don't know, you know, like this isn't saying that you need to just totally become a different person, but this isn't because this isn't just a lecture. This isn't just relaying information. We need to, we need to do as much as we can as we think about communicating this truth to communicate it in such a way that matches the tone um, of the text. And this is why uh, in this, this Keller quote, um, is important because we're not we're not just simply talking about Christ, but we're showing Him, we're demonstrating His greatness um, to reveal Him as worthy of praise and adoration. And so, this is why it's important to talk about homiletics and not just hermeneutics. And sometimes people can get a little bit turned off to talking about how to communicate uh, biblical truth because um, because they think, well, we're just trying to turn people into um, into actors or just trying to turn, you know, turn it into a show or trying to, uh, you know, make it into the, it turns the preacher into a kind of character in a play, you know, but that's not what we're talking about. What we, but what we want to do, um, is to show the greatness of Christ, uh, in everything that we're talking about. Cause the reality is, is that, that, that Satan himself can do biblical exposition probably better than all of us. Like Satan himself knows the Bible better than any of us. He could probably give, if we're just looking for a, an, a biblically accurate sermon, Satan could probably do that. What Satan can't do is delight in God through what he's seen in the scriptures. So Satan can know like empirically the facts of, of, uh, of a passage of scripture. What Satan can't do is delight in communicating those truths of the greatness of God. And that's what makes preaching unique from simply exposition is that what we're doing is a spirit empowered act as we demonstrate the greatness of Christ. Um, Cause otherwise if we're just giving an informative lecture without any sense of awe or passion or anything without it, like reaching into the deepest part of our emotions as well, um, we're, we're, it's a strong way to say, but we're, we're doing what Satan can do. Um, and that's not what we're aiming for. Um, so this isn't, it isn't just enough that you know what you're talking about, but we need to learn how to organize our thoughts in such a way um, that it's understandable to our audience. And we talked about this before that, um, that, uh, that teaching without uh, learning isn't teaching, you're just talking. And so what we want to do is organize our thoughts in a way that makes sense, that's true to the text, and that makes sense to the listeners, uh, to where people can walk away understanding what the scriptures say, how to apply it to their lives, and how to worship and stand in awe of what, of, of what they've been shown in the scriptures. And so what we're talking about tonight is that first step in organizing our thoughts into a cohesive unit. And that first step is to develop a big idea. Um, or a big idea sentence. And so here's a, here's a quote from J.H. Jowett. I think that's how you say his name. He says, I have a conviction that no sermon is ready for preaching, not ready for writing out until we can express its theme in a short pregnant sentence as clear as crystal. So what we're talking about here is the big idea or the through line, basically um, taking taking the passage that we have and putting its main idea, the main focus of the passage in one sentence. Uh, sometimes uh, I remember when, when Paul Sabino and I would be working on messages, uh, this was the thing that we would fight for the most uh, is to get the main point of our text into one sentence, into one through line. And so uh, that's what we're talking about tonight uh, is how to develop that through line. So what is a through line? It's a sentence that acts as a cord or a rope that helps you connect your points 
through the message. Basically what this one sentence does is it serves as a plumb line. Um, this is kind of like your anchor point uh, to help you, um, and we'll talk about a little bit uh, how this kind of helps you sift through um, uh, what to keep in your message and what to throw away. Like you've made a lot of observations, you've done a lot of work, and generally when you're preparing messages, you're like, how do I, how do I figure out what to keep and what to throw away? This, this one sentence idea uh, really helps, um, helps you determine what stays in there. Uh, this through line, it's the precise idea from the text that you want uh, to build in your listeners. And it basically answers the question, uh, what's the one thing I want people to walk away understanding? Like if you go, if they, if they sit there and listen to me for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and they can only remember one thing, what's that one thing I want them to remember? And this is why it matters that your, that your one sentence or your through line embodies the main point of your passage. Uh, because if they can only remember one thing, you want them remembering the main thing in your passage. The reality is, though, people are going to remember uh, what they remember. I, I'm always amazed uh, sometimes <laughs> for for messages, people are like, oh, this is the big thing I took away from that. And it happened to be this kind of like this, this comment that wasn't even in my notes, you know, like it wasn't part of the through line. It was just kind of this, this, it was something that just came to mind that, that seemed worth saying in the moment. Um, I, in those moments, I, I praise God that he would use uh, the Holy Spirit through me to be able to communicate something I didn't plan. Is that prophecy? Maybe, I don't know. But like, whatever it is, I'm glad that God used that. I don't want to just, uh, I, I, I need to rely on the Spirit, but I need to do the preparation to, to think through a one sentence through line um, to really act as the anchor of the message. So I don't want those, those like, um, anecdotal uh, things to cause me to be lazy in my preparation and not finding the through line. So, uh, and that's kind of what it's saying here. It, the, this through line acts as guardrails, keeping you on the path as you take your listeners on a journey to the main point uh, of the text. Because the reality is um, you and I, as we've studied the scriptures, we have the curse of knowledge right? Like we've spent a lot of time studying this passage and on a scale of one to 10 and knowing about what you're talking about, you are at a 10. Like you, for all, for all intents and purposes, you are, you are the expert on this passage. Um, the reality is though, that the people that you're talking to, you need to operate with the thought that they're at, that they're at a one. And what a lot of times, um, uh, sometimes what, what, biblical communicators get in trouble with is making too many assumptions about what their audience already knows about a text. And so if I'm at a 10 and the audience is at a one where people start to get in trouble is that in dumbing it down, we're not trying to pander or we're not trying to insult people's intelligence, but, but in dumbing it down, uh, the people at a 10 go, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to try to dumb it down. And they start at a five which is still way further ahead than your audience is actually at. And so if your starting point is already beyond where your audience is already at, you've lost them from the beginning moment here. And so what we want to do is take, is take people on a journey, even though we know where we're going and what the main point of this text is, we want to show them how we got there. Uh, 
as simply and as clearly as we possibly can to take them from a one and hold their hand to get them to a 10. And so this through line helps you discern what to say and what not to say. And that's where um, some of the, some of the, sometimes what can happen is in the excitement of all the observations, um, you can just end up saying, that's what this says right here. Those without a clear focus of what they're trying to say will end up saying everything that comes to mind. And, and that can just end up losing people when you, when you tell them every single observation and often you tell them it in the same way, people start to start to attach the same exact level of importance to everything you're saying. And then they don't know what's actually important. All they have is just this junk drawer of information. Um, and, and, and that's part of what we're trying to avoid here. Remember, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the um, overly intellectual or merely imperative uh, approaches um, to, to exegesis done in isolation. So the overly intellectual approach tends to view the message uh, as simply a storage container to house all the interesting things that you found during your study. And this through line serves as kind of like a litmus test to help you determine what observations should be expanded on and developed um, and which ones aren't as helpful to understanding the main point of the text. And so um, probably what you're asking, you're going, okay, I'm convinced. I, I get it. I get the importance of the, of making a big idea sentence. I get the importance of, you know, making a through line. Uh, how in the world do I actually do that? We'll get to that. Okay. I've got like one quote, a few slides, and then we're gonna uh, walk through some examples. Um, and I'm gonna show you some of my own message notes from past messages on, on kind of like how I've done that. Uh, but I'm still trying to convince you that this is important though. Okay, so act like you're not convinced if you're still convinced, if you're already convinced. Mm -hmm. This has been one of my favorite uh, quotes ever when it comes to preparing messages. If it's a 10 minute speech, it takes me all of two weeks to prepare it. If it's a half hour speech, it takes me a week. If I can talk as long as I want to, it requires no pre preparation at all. I'm ready right now. Uh, one of, the, one of the, the misnomers I'll say is that the longer somebody talks, uh, the more they have to say. And that's actually not the case. <laughs> it's, Zach's nodding his head. Like it, it is amazing how uh, how somebody being less prepared actually ends up in them talking longer, as opposed to somebody who's very prepared knows exactly what they want to say, uh, says it, and then walks away. I, I can't remember what it was. The Emancipation Proclamation was like such an incredibly short speech, right? But it's because that, like he knew exactly what he wanted to say. Now it wasn't uh, Woodrow Wilson, but the, the principle still applies here where, um, so when you, when you think about uh, uh, a 20 minute speech, a 20 minute speech, a 20 minute message, um, part of the reason for that is because it's, it's actually harder to give a short message than it is to give a long one. Um, and, uh, Part of that, the, the, where I get in trouble um, with long messages is that um, I get so excited about saying like as many of the things that I found as I can. Uh, I get frustrated with how much ends up on the chopping floor. Uh, but usually, what happens is I start to try to sneak in, you know, pick those things up off the floor and try to like figure out how to cram them in different places. Uh, and the message ends up going like forty-five minutes or something. Um, we don't want to do that. Um, 
So just a few do's and don'ts uh, as you think through, as you study through the Colossians passage, as you've done your observations, interpretation, application, and as you as you begin to form it into a message or a study. Um, don't try to hit every possible topic by condensing everything to make it shorter. Uh, that's one thing people, people, I say people in quotes, me, one thing that uh, that I can try to do is go, well, I can get more things in if I just shorten what I say about everything else. Like that frees up time, right? And if I just delete those sentences, if I shorten those paragraphs, then I can fit more stuff in. Don't do that. Um, saying anything worth listening to takes time. So, uh, so show why what you're saying matters and how it affects our lives today. If it's worth saying, it'll take a little bit of time to develop it and to show why it matters. Um, so don't try to hit every possible topic by condensing everything else uh, to make room. Um, do slash back the range of things you could say to a single connected through line that can be properly developed. <clears throat> Essentially what that means is it's, it's the wrong question to ask, how much can I say in 20 minutes? Instead, ask how much can I say in a meaningful way in 20 minutes? Uh, that's a big difference. You can say a lot of things in 20 minutes. You can give a lot of facts, show the observations, give every little interpretation of every little rabbit trail that, you know, you can start, you can start answering questions that, that most people probably aren't actually asking about the passage. You know, you can try to cover all your bases um, and you end up saying a lot, but you don't end up saying much in a meaningful way. So slash back the range of things you could say, um, and really choose uh, what you want to say and develop that. So, uh, and finally, the uh, remember the main point of your through line must be rooted in the main point of the text. And this is where the interpretation side is so important. Uh, you want as much as you possibly can, uh, unless you're doing some sort of topical series where you where you have a very specific reason for. Even then, though, you're you're whenever we open the Bible, we need to be teaching the text. Like we, we can't be opening the Bible, taking texts and using them for our own purposes. Uh, if, if it, that's not what it means in the text. And so the main point of our through line must be rooted in the main point of the text. So how do we do this? This is the big question, right? Um, what we want to do, th this is how I form my big idea sentences. Okay. There's other ways to do it. Um, this is how I do it. It took a while for me to for me to get this framework and for me to understand uh, how to do this. Um, so hopefully it's helpful for you. But basically, what I do is um, I use the subject complement uh, framework that um, that Haddon Robinson lays out in the biblical preaching book. Uh, and so basically, the subject is what am I talking about? And that is the question that arises from the text that you're looking at. So the subject is always phrased as a question. Um, and we'll get into some examples here to hopefully show you kind of what this looks like. So the subject, you're asking the question, what am I talking about? What, what is this passage talking about? Uh, what question uh, arises, like what, if, if I had to form uh, what question this text is answering, what would that question be? That's essentially what you're asking. If this text is answering a question, what is that question? And I'm writing that question down, and that's your subject. 
your complement is what am I saying about what I'm talking about? So the complement is uh, what's the answer to that question? How does the text answer that question? So the subject is what is the question this, if this text uh, were answering a question, what is that question? The complement is if this text were giving an answer to that question, what is that answer? And you're writing those two things out. So your subject will always be in the form of a question. Your complement will always be in the form of an answer. So how does this look? Some examples. Okay, let me pull up my little sheet here. Okay. All right, all right, all right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do this first one. Okay, real quick though. When I first learned this framework, it was incredibly difficult for me to, to train my mind to think this way, okay? So if you find yourself uh, going through this exercise, trying to do this with your passage, and you're going like, I don't know how to do this, that's where I was for like three weeks, okay? Now, lucky for me, I had three weeks to be that confused. For you, not so much, but we'll walk through it together, okay? so. Here's the first example, and I'll get my pencil out here. All right, so here, here's how I would do this. So here's the phrase. Let's just pretend that, that this sentence is my passage. This isn't a passage, but a good sermon leaves you wondering how the preacher knew all about you. Okay, so if I had to think through the subject and the complement, for this sentence, what would I say? I'd go, okay, so this sentence, if, if this were answering a question, what would that question be? So a good sermon leaves you wondering how the preacher knew all about you. Here's what I would do. And I, th this looks fast, but I've, I've thought about this already, okay? So if it didn't come to you this fast, don't feel bad. But a good sermon leaves you wondering how the preacher knew all about you, okay? What's the question? If this were answering a question, what would that question be? That question could be, what makes a good sermon? Good sermon. And that's my actual handwriting. I write like an eight-year-old. So, and it's not because it's on an iPad. That's about what you'll get. So uh, a good sermon leaves you wondering how the preacher knew all about you. What, what question is that answering? What makes a good sermon? So then, the, so the answer to that question from this sentence is something like, uh, what makes a good sermon? It speaks directly to who you are. Speaks directly to who you are. What makes a good sermon? It speaks directly to who you are. That's the subject and complement. So here's, here's what I would then do. Uh, let me see here. Um, I, I'm gonna show you more examples of this a little later. Uh, and we'll, I'll show you more of how I get into my outline and illustration, but here's basically what I do on my sermon prep sheet is at the bottom, I always write S for subject, C for complement, 
Herm for a hermeneutical sentence um, and Hom, whoops, and Hom for homiletical sentence. All right, so, and, and I'll, I'll explain those a little bit. So, subject, what makes a good sermon? Compliment, it speaks directly to who you are. And so the way that you, that you get your through line is you squish those two things together. So it would be something, that would be my hermeneutical statement, my, my one-liner, you could say. And so what I would do with this is, is I would make it a statement. A good sermon. Oops, don't need a comma there. Speaks directly to who you are. Speaks directly to who you are. So that's my, well, sort of. So we'll say that's my hermeneutical one-liner. Um, basically the difference between a hermeneutic one-liner and a homiletical one-liner is the homiletical one is what you're trying to do is you're trying to make it kind of catchy. Like you're trying to make it, you're trying to take it from something that's kind of like uh, lame and kind of sterile. Like this isn't really a great sentence. Um, people don't, you don't really remember that, right? Uh, and so what you're trying to do is, with this homiletical one is what you're trying to do is you're trying to make it into something someone could tweet essentially and would go like, Oh, that's kind of catchy and something they can walk away remembering. Okay. But um, I for sure every time want, want to have this. Sometimes I'm, I don't get to the homiletical side um, because the homiletical side is, is just kind of making this sentence a, a little sexier. Okay. Cause you can remember it better, but this, but the hermeneutic one is the one you need because that'll serve as your plumb line. The homiletical one is the one that, that you want because people remember it. Um, but anyways, so let's see here. Does that make sense so far? It's okay to, to shake your head. No, because uh, sometimes, at least, at least for me, this was incredibly confusing on the front end. Let's do one together. So what I want you to do is, if you have something to write on, um, write out subject and compliment on a sheet, if you got it. And let's kind of let's kind of talk through this one. Okay, so here's here's the 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 statement: the young have lots of time and few memories, while the elderly have lots of memories and little time. So take take a couple minutes, all right, and we'll awkwardly stare at each. I'll, I'll awkwardly stare at you while you think. Um, think through if if this statement. We're answering a question, what would that question be? If this statement were answering a question, what would that question be? Take a minute or two and think of what that question would be and write it down. And do your best to not overthink it. There, there's no like right answer, but we're just training our brains at this point.
Okay. Now, if you, have, if you, if you don't have one yet, that's fine. Uh, you'll get a few more minutes here. Um, if you've got a potential question that this phrase could be answering, great. Move on to thinking through the complement of, okay, what, what's, the, what's the answer? Uh, what's the answer that this gives? So if this phrase were answering a question, what would that question be? Uh, if this phrase were giving an answer to that question, what would that answer be? Take a few minutes and kind of write down um, what the answer to that question from this phrase uh, would be. Oh man, who, who threw that in there? Is that Mick? Nope, it was me. Yeah. Oh, Jeff? Oh, dude. That made me so happy. <laughs> I'm glad I have a recording of that. Okay, here we go. Who wants to put themselves out there and take a crack at what the subject of this could be? Give it a try. Awesome, Ryan. Um, what's, the, what's the question this phrase uh, could be answering? I was thinking, what do young and elderly have? What do young and elderly have? Awesome. Anyone, anyone have something else? I had, I was a little more, what is someone else talking? Yep. I was going to jump in. I said, what is different about young and old or What's, young and elderly? There you go. What's different about young and elderly? What, what do you have? Who was talking before? Is that AJ? Or is that Mick? I said something, but I interrupted someone else in the process. Yeah, what what do you have, Mick? I I'm not sure if I'm doing this correctly, but I You're I good, like. Man. What is the ratio between time and memories? Okay, okay. So different approach from everyone else so far. Yeah, yeah. No, that's great. Anyone else? I was on uh, Mick's track. I I had how does how does age affect memories awesome all right so let's go uh here let's do this so um now this isn't i i hesitate to even do this because it makes it seem like there's an absolute right answer um there's a lot of ways to go about this so it could be something to the effect of in in something to the effect of how do young whoops young and old differ in 
their experience, oh boy, of memories. Oh. My handwriting's not usually that bad. It's bad, but not like that. So that that's a a way to phrase that question. Now again, if yours isn't exactly like that, that's totally fine. Um, but that's that's a way to phrase that question. So from the the compliment side of things, so um, either based on that or based on what you had, uh, how did you answer the question uh, that you wrote in your subject? What, what's, a, what's a potential compliment uh, to this phrase? Anyone want to take a crack at that? I said, those who have more time have fewer memories, but those who have more memories have less time. Mm -hmm. Man, that's great. Anyone else? Also, sorry for any background clutter. The Lion King remake is going on downstairs. No problem. I was going to say the young have time while elderly have memories. Awesome. I just said elderly have experienced more of life than the young. Yeah, yeah. Anyone else? I had, uh, when you're young, you have more room for mistakes and less ability to judge actions. Whereas when you're old, um, you have less likelihood of making mistakes, but also less chances left to make them. Yeah. I had the more time you have, the more memories you can make. Okay. Awesome. Man, you guys are picking up on this real quick. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's pretty close to pretty much everything you guys have said uh kind of kind of the way i would answer like so if my subject was what i wrote i'd go the young have few memories though they have much time to make them while the old have many memories and have little time to make more that's essentially kind of what you guys got so let's do this again um let me get out of this one dun, 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 uh some of you with teenagers uh Probably not a lot of us at this point. Attention teenagers, if you are tired of being hassled by unreasonable parents, now is the time for action. Leave home now and pay your own way while you still know everything. It's a little cheeky, huh? So, okay, I will. <laughs> yeah, get out of here. <laughs> All right, so think of think of a subject. So if this were answering a question, what question would this be answering? All right, all right. And then the answer to that question from this. So if you got your subject, move on to your compliment. 
This part will be great in the podcast, too. Just dead air. All right, anyone have a crack at a subject? I'm flying through this, by the way. So if you're not keeping up, it's it's totally okay. Anyone got a subject, though? What should know-it-all teens do? What should know-it-all teens do? They should get off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, you got teenagers. You you resonate uh-huh. with this one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyone else? I think they're pretty smart. There you go. <laughs> my question was, what should teenagers tired of unreasonable parents do? Perfect. Kind of on the other side of the spectrum. You are you you are the unreasonable one. Yeah, yeah. This is where you're at. Yeah. So I I think you guys are getting the gist of it. So what causes teenagers to dis, to disrespect their parents and run away from home? Something you you guys had something to that effect. What about the compliment to that question? They should leave and make their own life. Leave home fast. Leave home fast. Jake, can you repeat what you said for your subject? Yes. So uh, something to the effect of what causes teenagers to dis- to disrespect their parents and run away from home? Or what should uh, – what should – um, what, how did you say it, Brian? You had a great one. What should know-it-all teens do? What should know-it-all teens do? Can you also go like the other side of like, are you tired of your unreasonable parents? Like, are you a teen tired of your unreasonable parents? Yeah, you totally could. Like, it, it, yeah, it. Again, you can go. You can do. You can approach these a few different ways. We're gonna. The next one we're gonna do is actually gonna be a. Uh, a verse and so you'll see kind of how this plays itself out in using a biblical text too but you can totally do that um if you're going but, to- I, I was gonna say jake i mean this this phrase i think points out the uh, importance of knowing the audience and you know doing your basic understanding of you know what was the original audience you know and yeah. going through all those steps before you come up with these things, because the meaning can change depending on, you know, where you land on that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cause say like you're teaching to five fourteen or on a Sunday morning, two very different things could happen. Yeah. Well, in one of the things like, especially with this one, the, the level of snark uh, matters, like who is saying this? Right. If this is if this is a teenager addressing another teenager, you could go, oh, they're actually being serious. 
right? Or if this is a parent addressing a teenager, it's like, oh, they're being sarcastic. Like, and so the way that you would approach that uh, is a bit different. So knowing your audience, yeah, you're right, Zach. This this makes the uh, the understanding the historical and literary context important because um, you're right. So like, meaning is determined by context, and so what we're seeing here is is how that plays out. Uh, and so, yeah, what causes teenagers to disrespect their parents or run away from home? Uh, they think they know everything and can take care of themselves, or what causes, you know, um, uh, man, what was, you had a great word in there, Brian, say it again, your subject, know-it-all. What should know-it-all teens do? What should I keep thinking of, of Pinocchio here, you know, they're all going to go shipping <laughs> and turn into donkeys. There you go, yeah. <laughs> all right, let's do a, let's do a, um, a verse here. Um... Let's see. I'm, we're actually going to go to this one. So this is First Timothy 5, 1 through 3. Uh, okay. Here's where my keyboard's being wonky again. I'm telling you, it's driving me nuts. Do not speak harshly to a, a man older than yourself, but advise him as you would your own father. Treat the younger men as brothers and older women as you would, as you would your mother. Always treat younger woman, women with propriety as if they were your sisters. So if this were answering a question, what would that question be? So think through your subject. And then think through your answer to that question. I'll give you a few minutes. Right. Anyone have a subject for First Timothy five one through three? How should young men act? How should young men act? Or men act? Yeah. Anyone else? I just said, how should you treat people? 
How should you treat people? That's a great I said, subject. how should you treat others? So pretty similar. There you go. Said, how do you treat older, younger, or older men, younger men, older women, younger women? <laughs> there you go. You, yeah, you got you got more exhausted with that. That's good. Anyone I'm have the any same? How should you treat others? Pretty cool. There you go. And then the so let's go to the compliment side. What's the answer to that? Like you would your family members. Awesome. Anyone else? I said treat old as father or mother and young as brother or sister. Mm. Let's go one more. I just said um, treat them as a family member that you would either learn from or guide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, you guys are a lot smarter than I was and probably still am. So uh, let's see, here's, here's what I got. Um, da, da, da. Let's see, what I put was how must men treat, oh boy, those around them? And the, re the reason I put men, honestly, if I was if I was doing this again, I'd probably broaden it out uh, to just how should how should we uh, treat those around us? Um, I put lovingly as they would their own family members which is pretty much exactly see here here's the here's the great thing about this um and this just highlights even more uh that again a text has a meaning and many applications and so even for us as we're in our own you know living rooms or guest bedrooms or wherever you're at like we're looking at the same thing we're reading it, we're thinking through what question does this answer, or what question does this ask, and what's the answer to that question based on this, and we're coming up with a lot of the same things. Now, the way that this applies across the board is, will be very different, uh, because you have very particular situations. If you were, if you were gonna you know, teach on this passage to a group of teenagers, you would probably do that differently than you would uh, to a, a group of older people. I remember I actually, um, I, <laughs> this was, I was invited to speak at a, um, at an early morning men's breakfast at, this was down in Des Moines, um, at a church that I was a part of. Uh, and they asked me to come speak and, uh, and I, it, the, the topic was on something, it was something to the effect of, um, of reaching the next generation. And this was the verse that I started off with because I knew I had some really hard things to say to them. And I wanted to be one for myself. I wanted to make sure I was saying it in the way that I would, uh, not to some random guy that cut me off in traffic, but that I would to my own dad. Right. Where it's like, I have some, I have some hard things to say. And this, this is the posture that I want to say them to you guys. I want to, I want to talk to you like I would my own dad. And so, uh, 
it was, it was really good because it kind of disarmed the room. So anyways, the point is the way that I, the way that I, you know, use this text was very different because of that context, as opposed to if I was speaking to younger people. So here's how this looks. Um, and I'll probably use some of these examples. Uh, I will use these examples um, a little more next week as we talk through uh, outlines and illustrations. But here is, um, here's my process. This, if you want to know everything I do for message, it's all right there. So the way that I, the way that I prepare, I mean, it's pretty easy to see. I've got the, the, the text of the passage on one side. Um, I'll explain this, uh, this ridiculous circle, um, next week. But what I, what I wanted to show you in this though was so like, this is Luke 15, 11 through 32. And this is the bottom of my page. Do it every stinking time. Subject, compliment, hermeneutical sentence, homiletical sentence. So uh, th this was the one um, on the prodigal son. How does the father respond to both the reckless and the self-righteous with extravagant grace and patient pursuit? So then I took those two sentences. I squished them together. God responds to both the reckless and self-righteous with extravagant, with extravagant grace and patient pursuit. And then my homiletical was just trying to make it more catchy. And so extravagant grace toward the, toward the extravagantly lost. That's the homiletical sentence was basically trying to sum up the hermeneutical one in a little bit more catchy way. And that her, that one liner of the hermeneutical sentence was uh, squishing the subject and compliment together. Um, just another couple examples. So this was um, the, the parable of the, um, of the treasure that was found. So here's the subject uh, and compliment for that. Uh, how valuable is the kingdom of God? More valuable than any earthly possession. The kingdom of God is a greater treasure than any earthly possession. Um, and then sometimes, and I, I, I give myself space because sometimes I'll, I'll rewrite and rewrite and I can't erase some of these things. So joyful sacrifice for a greater treasure is kind of how that goes. Just one more. This was the last uh, message in Ephesians for Salt Company. Um, and this came out a lot, actually, in the message itself. So how have believers been blessed in Christ? We've been chosen by God, redeemed by the Son, and sealed by the, by the Spirit. Um, believers have been, blessed, have, been have been blessed by being chosen by God, redeemed by the Son, sealed by the Spirit, um, chosen, redeemed, and sealed for the praise of God's glory. And so that's – I do that – oh, man, I can't think of a time – um, since learning this method of creating a one-liner that I haven't used it to help me get that, that short, like, here's what the text is about. Um, and again, this helps you. So let me see if I can go back here. Um, take this for example. I mean, this isn't the longest passage ever, but uh, this helps you zoom out because we practiced with sentences the the struggle comes when you're taking like paragraphs and trying to do this and so what you have to do is all of these marks that you see and all the arrows and all the things like i start off doing that um but at some point i have to zoom out and go okay this as a unit what is this talking about and so for this ephesians one it was pretty clear it's like the flow of this passage is talking about being chosen by god redeemed by the son 
and sealed by the spirit. I mean, it basically outlines itself. And so it's like, okay, that's the whole of this text. Now what I need to do is I need to put all of that into a sentence. And so if I were going to have this passage answer a question, what would the question be? If it, what would the answer be? How have believers been blessed in Christ? That's the uh, blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. So verse three is, how have we been blessed in Christ? And then it's just chosen by God, redeemed by the Son, sealed by the Spirit. It just goes through that way. But when you, you, when you put it in one sentence, it, it helps then constrain you to like, those are my rails. And if I get off on some tangents, and there were some tangents to get off on with this one. We talked about that a little bit. Um, but it helped kind of like keep me in there. So, all right, we're at 9.01. Here we go. So I'm going to stop this guy. All right. Questions, questions, questions. Um, could you kind of answers. Yeah. Could you kind of re-explain a little bit about when you, the, the hermine, I can't even say it. Hermine, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, when you squish them together, can you kind of explain that a little bit? Yeah. Um, so basically what I do is uh, I take, I'm, I want to make the subject and the complement into one um, like declarative sentence. And so, uh, so if, if my subject for Ephesians, um, for Ephesians one was how have believers been blessed in Christ, uh, and the compliment we have been chosen by God, redeemed by the son, sealed by the spirit, what I'm doing it instead of saying, how have believers been blessed in Christ? I'm just saying believers have been blessed in Christ by being chosen by God, redeemed by the son, sealed by the spirit. I, I don't want that. Uh, hermeneutical or that one-liner sentence to to be a question i want to take those two things put them together and make them declarative if that makes sense so that takes a little bit of practice you know because you, you're like oh man i just created a question and then i created an answer now how do i stick the question and answer together um that takes a little bit of time but uh basically just take the words that make the subject a question out of it and it'll turn into a declarative statement. So instead of how have believers been blessed in Christ, you need to say believers have been blessed in Christ. So that's an example of how to do that. But yeah, that's a good question. Hey, Jake, could you uh, touch on the through line versus the hermeneutic statement? Is there a difference between that? Yeah, I mean, not really. Like I know Robinson may, what he's mainly hitting in there is the, is the homiletical statement, like the, the, um, the through line, that real catchy phrase, like, um, that real, I think he, I think he used the word like real pregnant sentence, you know, that it's catchy and clear and all that stuff. Um, I basically added the hermeneutical sentence, uh, to really just help me go, okay, what's the clunky version of the through line? And then what's the catchy version of the through line? And it, if I can only have one, uh, I want the clunky one because the clunky leads to the catchy, right? If I just try to jump straight to the catchy, it's possible that I'll miss the main thing actually. So often it comes like, I, I almost often always have the homiletical one. Uh, usually the way that you see this in an actual message is that, um, Sometimes I'll, 
I'll just straight up say like my, my one liner sentence, you know, either at the beginning I'll ruin it and go like, here's the punchline of this whole thing. You know, if, if you, it, sometimes if, if you ever hear me say, if, if, if there's only one thing you can remember, let it be this, that's usually my through line because it's like, if there's only one thing you take away from this message, let it be uh, chosen, redeemed, and you've been chosen, redeemed and sealed for the praise of God's glory, you know, or I'll, I'll use it as kind of uh, the, like the closing statement to kind of bring it all together, you know, but there's not a lot of difference for me. It's mostly which one's clunky and which one's catchy. Thanks for clarifying on that. Yeah, that's a great question. Hey, Jake, how do you keep from going off the rails when you start doing this stuff? Because like going back to the teen one, I'm like, well, I don't really want to talk about teens. Why don't we change that to authority? Like anybody who's an authority. Yeah. How do you, how do you keep yourself in check? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Part of that's the context. So uh, sometimes you can, um, man, how do you, how do you keep in check? Uh, this is where community is really helpful. I mean, from really going off the rails, I will say though, it, it can be good to give yourself some, uh, some room in the application section of things. Uh, so take the example of the sentence with, uh, with teenagers, like you really could apply that in, in a response to authority. I, I wouldn't, uh, let me, well, I'm not connected anymore. Um, the way that I organ, the way that I organize it and, this might not work for you, but I usually go uh, tension, text, application, vision. So the tension is my intro. The text is when I'm getting into more like the exegesis of the passage, like explain the passage. And then the application is the, so now what? In that application portion, uh, you could get to some of those more like, like, yeah, this, this is talking about teenagers, but this is teenagers response to authority. You can begin to broaden out the application since there's one meaning many applications. Um, there, there is a way to go off the rails on that, I'm sure. Uh, but if you've done your, if you've done your observation interpretation side of things and you've you've created your clear through line, uh, more often than not, you'll be able to recognize when you're just getting way off track and you're going off on a tangent. You know, so. What else? These are good questions. Kate's got one. I know it. She's just sitting back there. Or her internet connection is not fast enough for a question. <laughs> No others, man, crystal clear. You got two seconds or I'm moving on. Carly, okay. Um, all right, man, you, 
to be honest, you guys picked up on that a lot faster than I expected. You picked up on it way faster than last year. I'll say that. <laughs> that took forever last year. So <laughs> um, go through uh, the Colossians passage now um, this week. Try to create a subject, a compliment, and at least a through-line hermeneutical sentence, whatever, make a clunky version of sticking the subject and complement together. And then uh, if you want to take some time to, to kind of class it up, that's great. Um, that'll be really helpful as we talk next week about um, creating, uh, creating an outline, uh, thinking through illustrations. Um, let me see what else I had in there. Outlines, illustrations. To do, to do and uh, compelling communication. I mean, uh, we'll get into a little bit of that. Um, if if you're if you're leaning more towards uh, wanting to do the small group study, uh, this is still an important thing to go through because you want you want the nature of your study to have a focus, uh, like to be like leading somewhere. Essentially, what you want to do with a small group study is you want to help. Uh, you basically want to take them through the process of observation, interpretation, and application, uh, and, and basically hold their hand, uh, both through some instruction, uh, but then also through, like, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say leading questions, like um, some discussion questions help draw out discussion on what the text says, what it means, and how it applies. And that through line will help you uh, kind of gauge uh, what should the nature of those questions be? Um, what are some of the things you should uh, bring into the discussion from a from a uh, from a context perspective, historical and literary, uh, to kind of like gently lead people to this end? So uh, it's not just helpful for sermons, but it can also be helpful for it is also helpful for um, small group studies. Uh, I will say I've got I have more experience writing messages than I do small group studies. So um, I've got a few examples I can give next week on what that, uh, on what a small group study could look like. Um, but, uh, but I'll, I'll generally be talking from the perspective of preparing messages. And so, uh, and I'll try as much as I can to help you if you're wanting to do the study, be able to apply it. So um, what I'll do is I'm going to send out the, again, I'll send out the links for the, um, the link for the video here uh, for those who weren't here. Um, what, what I'd like to do, what I'd like you to do also, I'll, I'll add the, I'll add the, um, the details that I talked about at the beginning, as far as the two options that you have, the dates uh, for the in-person messages, and then the dates for those who are wanting to do the small group study, uh, kind of when to do that. Um, and then it would be awesome if you could uh, reply back to me with which one of those options you're wanting. Um, and then that, that'll help me know how many time slots I need to have for, uh, the people giving messages and, uh, and then that'll help determine also where, uh, where we end up doing those, uh, messages as well. So, uh, next week is our last week. Um, like I said, we're going through outlines, illustrations, um, a few little kind of details on how to communicate. Uh, and then after that, uh, you've got a couple weeks to work on your study and your messages, um. Like I said, at any point, if you got questions, feel free to reach out. Uh, but yeah, we got one more week of logging on together, though. So yeah, cool. 
thank you guys so much for giving me your time tonight. Hopefully it was helpful and we will see you next Sunday.